What's goody? What's goody? What's goody? This is Old York Gritty with your boy Juice Wanna. As you can see, you know, I'm making my little background. So this is the villains, the freemen, and the oath of the free man. Right, so once again, we are showing you how the tactics of Freemasonry is to make you a slave, whether you know it or not. Right? While it's while it speaks of you know, being free in this upright person to those who are unaware they will be indoctrinated into this system of mental enslavement, right? So we'll be getting into this right now. Let me bring up this articles, right? Well, forgive me, I'm over here, you know, I'm... Um, eating my, my meal while I'm doing it. So I might be, <laughs> you know, blacking out every once in a while and, um, you know, just taking a little bite here and there. But we will be starting off with the villain, right? Which is later to be known as the villain, as I will show you, right? A villain. Otherwise known as a kator or crafter is a serf tied to the land of the feudal system. Villains had more rights and social statures than those of enslavery, but were under a number of legal restrictions which differentiates them from the free man so we will be showing you this system and how one you know is deemed whether the slave you know the villain and the free man right Etymology here goes, villains was a term used in the feudal system to denote a peasant, titan farmer, um, tenant farmer, who was legally tied to the lord of the manor, a villain in gross, or in the case of a villain regrenant to a manner villains occupied the social space between a free peasant or a free man and a slave the majority of medieval european peasants were villains an alternative term is serf s-e-r-f Despite the orig um, originating from the Latin servius, meaning slave, a villain was thus a bound tenant, so he could not leave the land without the landowner's consent. Now, there's, you know, another factor to slavery, right, where they were 
you know, basic, like this was a known thing. So a lot of, you know, people who came over on those ships came over with, you know, there was different, you know, means of getting people here is what I'm saying. There were slave ships, sure. But then there were people who were duped into coming to America, this land that they didn't know of. Under the guise of, you know, they would have their stake in the claim. And once they got here, they found out, you know, the sham, right? And so we, you know, um, we're going to go into cases. I'm going to mention cases, not in this right here, but as we go on inside this understanding, I'm going to bring up this system of lies and deceit right villains is derived from the late latin villius meaning a man employed at the roman villa rusticia or large agricultural estates so we think about slavery we know the people worked on the land right a system of tide serfdom originated from the decree issued by late Roman Emperor Decolestine, who ruled from, you know, 284 to 305 in an attempt to prevent the flight of peasants from the land and to conquest decline in food production. So, you basically was from there and because, you know, you might have left, you know, you was willing to leave, pack up and just go somewhere else because things were declining. You were basically like a servant and you became a slave. You not going nowhere and you going to help build up this nation. Right. So, you know, the decree obliged peasants to register in their local locality and never leave it. So you are a slave of that area and land and you couldn't even go to no place else unless you had permission because most likely you would be trying to run and get out of it. So if you understand what is taking place here. Pardon me. Right. So if you understand what is taking place here, you understand this system of legal enslavement. Right. Legally putting somebody in a bind because you didn't want something to collapse. So if you already did, you got to stay there. So then we understand how this growth and the mentality of slavery, you know, because, you know, we go through the history of slavery with the Europeans. You will see Rome right there on the top of the list of this sadistic, you know, science, right, of the physical, right? So it says, because of the low social status of villains, the term became derogatory. In modern France, villain means ugly and naughty. In Italian, villino means rude or ill-mannered. In the Spanish, villino, the 
Rie, R-A-E, preserves the definition of neighbor or inhabitant of a village or town, but it also accepts the derogatory use, which is very similar to the modern English villain. Right, so even though the name was spelled differently, this is how you get to the villains, right? This cutthroat, you know, way because of a system where we basically all would be the villains, right? And then you have, you know, like the slaves, which would be those who committed the crime and got caught. We'll be getting into that. Villainage, right? Villainage was an important and commonplace in Western Europe in the Middle Ages. Villains generally rented small homes with or without land. And part of the contract with their landlord, they were expected to use some of their time to farm the Lord's um, um, demisile right or provide other services possibly in addition to a rent of money or goods think about society today right you either you know you have some land or you rent but you put in this system to where you have to work right to even maintain that and if you don't, so you are in this same cycle of this villainage, right? These services could be very onious, right? Villains might also be required to pay a fine on the marriage of their daughters outside of the manor. So, like, if they wanted to get their children out of there, especially the daughters, you know, they would, you know, basically, you know, try to marry her outside of that area. And they were fines for that because their whole objective was to keep you bound to the system. Excuse me. Right. The inheritance of the holding by a son. In other circumstances, villains, now we go, villains were tied to the land and could not move any way without their Lord's consent. Could not move away without their Lord's consent. So, you see yourself in these bonds today, and it's all still structured off of this same system. None of this stuff has changed. The... The names of what they call it has changed through time. You know, they, you know, learn to put words in there to make it appear as something else. But in reality, this same system is the same system that we are talking about. Villains typically had to pay special taxes and fines that free men were exempt from. For example, Philistine. Pond, 
right? Fill his pond, right? And insurance against corporal punishment. So you were basically paying to prevent you from getting this corporal punishment and lay with fines for being a child outside of wedlock, right? Merchants was very often used, uh, no, um, Merchets, right, were very often used against a villain's petition for freedom, since paying it provided a villain status. So a lot of the times what you would see is, you know, people, that's why they would take on these, these tasks, these jobs, because they wanted to move up in rank. You see what I'm saying? So they would do this stuff in order for them, you know, not to be as low as, you know, the slaves. But they, they, if they did this villainous, villainines, whatever, you know, they would be able to work towards being a free man, right? Villainages right as opposed to some of the selfdom serfdom was most common in western europe feudalism where land ownership had developed from roots of roots in roman law now remember we got king james he has a beef with the roman empire right he has a beef with roman catholics he has this um system freemasonry set up to take that down he's the one who came up with the separation of church and state and all of that so i'm saying this as we understand right what is taking place here all right so then we're gonna now in this i wanted to say since we were talking about Roman law and we're using this compa um, um, comparison, right? The 13th Amendment in the United States Constitution abolished slavery and involuntary servitude because that's what you would see as the villainous movement is basically, you know, voluntary servitude, except as punishment for a crime so now we see you are permanently put in this villain state where you might not be the slave right meaning you know incarcerated but you will still never be of the free men Right. So this is what we have this understanding now. You know, the amendment was passed by the Senate on April 8th, 1864, by the House of Representatives in January 31st, 1865 and, re and ratified by the required 27 of the 36 states on December 6th. 1865 and proclaimed on december 18th it was the first of the three reconstruction amendments adapted following the civil war 
American Civil War, right? So, I'm saying that because to show you how they took a system and, and legalized it and gave it different, you know, wording, but it still meant the same exact thing. It was still the same system. Now it is set up as you know okay we're banned we're we're getting rid of slavery but now you have these three classes still the lords you have the freemen and then you have you know the villains like which could become a slave if you violate the law right Okay, a variety of kinds of villainage existed in Western Europe, and it imposed to arrive at a precise definition which satisfies all of them. Like, you know, there's no way because it was split up. And, you know, like, um, you the way it might have operated in this land might not be the same way it's operated in that land. So it's hard to give it this, you know, this universal definition, right? Different times and countries dealt with villainage in slightly apparent in different ways. Some villains had clearly defined, was, has clearly defined in limited responsibilities of their lords while others were essentially at their lord's whim villainage was not always an involuntary arrangement in the early middle ages families entered villainage voluntarily to guarantee land tenure and while the villains were heavily restricted in what they could do, it was also possible for them to gain manumission. Many villains were in villages because of the land they held rather than by birth that could become free men if their lord agreed with them to move them in a different holding. Right? So we think, think of the Mason. He's given this like this you know so-called stature because he is aiding and abetting with the lies and the trick knowledge you know given to the people and this is pardon me got some dog barking right and then um this goes you know hand in hand with you know, when you hear, you know, these blacks, oh, I'm a free man, I'm a free man, right? We're going to get into that. But this all derives from that same understanding and science and how you see it connected with Freemasonry, right? Villainage was not a purely um exploitive relationship in the middle ages lands guaranteed um sustains what the fuck is that um 
subsistence and, and survival being a villain guaranteed access to land. Right. So even to this day, when you see this cutthroat society, this secret society of charlatans and con men and stuff like that, you see that they are working within the government as well. I tell people that all the time that you could see these criminal empires and they also would show you how they were still connected in government you know trying to be these senators and all of that because they was all under this same system right landlords rarely evicted villains <clears throat> excuse me because the value of their labor, even where legal, even where legally able to do so, villainage was much preferable to being a landless laborer, such as a cotter or vagabond. So, as you see again, this line. This line between being a bum, homeless, and this, that, and the third, and staying in this working class. So the villains could either be the criminals or the working class who stay within a certain um, range. Because if you drop under and you're doing petty crimes and stuff like that, then you go to jail and now you you this slave, right? And that's on, you know, the criminal aspects of it. So this, to understand that when you be thinking, oh, dudes is snitching and this, that, and that, listen, they all down with this same system. And they are trying to, are trying to utilize it to the best of their abilities. And so using you as a, as a scapegoat or whatever, that's basically it, whatever, what do they care, right? Villainage became progressively less common through the Middle Ages, particularly after the Black Death reduced the royal population and increased the bargaining power of workers. So as you see, when, right, you know, like say right now we're in, um, you know, a pandemic or whatever. Those that, you know, the working class is down. So now it, it puts the working class <clears throat> in an ability to be a bargaining chip. Like, nah, you ain't going to have us, you know, working and you over here raising, you know, rents and this, that, and the third and leaving people inside this tighter bond. So the people right now were actually supposed to lay down their pimp hand in this system and go, listen, you are not going to have me working for pennies on You need to work. And that's what happened through outsourcing. You know, when they outsourced and, and, and the people allowed them to actually outsource the things that they were buying here, you were crippling a nation because those people are, you know, like living off of a dream. In the black community, right, 
you know, you see the bragging, but it's always based on this criminal element selling crack like the the 80s and crack made you know this high sedity you know black society of 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 um expendable men you know sending them to jail over stupid stuff i mean as far as even within the unit the the family unit she can turn around and and make up all of these excuses well he cheated on me and you know abandonment so you know she can go on and find a new sucker you know somebody else that's gonna take those risks and so it was this pipeline through these you know um certain characteristics minds on both sides those who want to impress this mentality and those who don't care about you impressing it they just want what you can get out of it and you're expendable so you know now and this is what i'm only pointing out like that 80s 90s as an example of society and the crime as aspects getting the labor from those within the incarcerated field and keeping them within the slaves so this cycle is is ongoing it's still happening to this day right you know, so this is what they were saying basically about, you know, the workforce being able to lay their own demands down. Furthermore, the lords of many manners were willing to, for payment to manumit their villains, right? It had largely died in the English in England in the 1500s as a personal status but land held by villain tenures less enfranchised continue to be held by what was henceforth known as the copyhold tenancy right which was not abolished until 1925 and now this goes back to the 1500s right villainage continued in france until the revolution of 1789 so we see this system not just attacking the u.s but you, you know we know about the french revolution being taken down through this masonic system as well and if not i'll be doing a show on how it actually you know infiltrated you know um france which was through the same you know tactics that they used in america and their revolutionary war right villains had more rights and social status than those and you know slavery but were under a number of legal restrictions which differentiated them from the freemen i read that because you know i know i read it earlier but now we're about to head into the freemen as you can you know see down there <laughs> right okay now we going into the freeman colonies right during the american colonial period a freeman was a person who was not a slave the term originated in 12th century europe so when you hear you know a lot of them black people oh i'm i'm a free man i'm ness this is 
where they are getting that from but what services are they providing for their master in order for you right to be still the slave and them to have this special stature think about it right um during the american colonial period a free man was a person who was not a slave the term originated in 12th century europe right in the massachusetts bay colony a man had to be a member of the church to be a free man that's how you see the growth of you know the christian belief within the you know the black community but remember you're paying your tithes you're doing all of these things so you're not a, you're not free you're still under a, a a bind right then now it becomes mental right and so their job is to promote that you know that christian belief just like now their job is to promote the woke you know the the conscious movement so this is the same thing they're just shifting the religious you know aspects you know because now we're going into satanism and all of that right now it's just awoke but it's all a part of that satanic movement and you know we'll be getting into that as far as you know how the satanic structure is still set up just like you had um um julius caesar you know jesus christ and they had that structure now you know it's paying homage to these different areas who's under the same federation you know what i mean you know, that's basically what the satanic is, right? In the Massachusetts Bay, a man could be a member of the church, um, had to be a member of the church to be a free man. In neighboring Plymouth Colony, a man did not need to be a member of the church, but he had to be elected to this privilege by the general court. Being a free man carried with it the right to vote. And in Plymouth, only free men could vote by 1632. So, as you see, you know, even, you know, the right to vote in wasn't just this black thing. That was universal. If you didn't have a certain stature, you were dead. Your voice didn't even matter, right? So, black, this is now according to the Black Laws Dictionary. This is the ninth edition. Defines free men as follows, right? A person who possesses and enjoys all the civil and political rights belonging to the people under a free government, right? A person who is not a slave, right? And remember we said about coming from the womb and how, you know, you coming out of the black woman, you was automatically born into this slave thing. So these half-breeds and whatnot would be the ones who can easily claim to be these free men as we see the system change, right? 
history, a member of a municipal corporation, a city or a borough who possesses full civil rights, especially the right to vote. Right. And that's why you see, um, you know, the when you when you a slave, you cannot vote. So these are the things that, you know, are this reference to what I'm saying. You see it in daily life. You see it in the world around you. They just threw a different name on it and, you know, put some law there, you know, change as the law books change, but it's still the same laws, right? Freedom was earned after an allotted time or after the person demanded payment um, the person's demanding payment was satisfied. This was known as an indentured servant, right? And as also, um, now we just keep going, I'll, I'll get to it. And was not originally intended as a stigma or embarrassment of the person involved. Many sons and daughters of the wealthy and famous of the time found themselves forced into such temporary servitude. So we see that even these rich and wealthy people were put in this Freemasonic system. Nobody was above it. Right. Gary Nash reporting that many of the servants were actually nephew, nieces, cousins and children of friends of emerging Englishmen who paid their passage in return of their labor once in America. Right. So an indentured servant would sign a contract agreeing to serve for a specific number of years, typically five to seven, right? Many indentures in the colonials came as indentured servants with someone else paying their passage to the colonials in return for their promise of service. At the end of his service, according to the contract, the indentured servant usually would be granted a sum of money, a new suit of clothes, land, or perhaps passage back to England. An indentured servant was not the same as an apprentice or a child who was placed out. Right? So, like, you over here, you have this, you know, statue, you know, an apprentice, you know, somebody who's working underneath you. This was. No, you know, I'm doing this because I want to set up a place out there as well. And so I'm abound myself to this system to put myself in better standards. Just the same way you see with, you know, the black Freemasons and all of that. But they don't see that they will be getting duped in the end and it doesn't even matter because they can say well they got theirs now right an indentured servant um okay once a man was made a freeman and was no longer considered a common 
you know, at that time, you know, the commons would be just like regular people, everyday people, right? He could become a member of the church because, you know, he wasn't, the commoners wasn't, you know, they just got the word. They wasn't necessarily in the loop. And this is how you know this is all going into that Freemasonic and building up this new church, this spiritual awakenings and all of them. They are all down with the hypnotism, the mesmerism, and this is what it's alluding to. So that's why I advise you to take the time to understand hypnotism and mesmerism. Go into, you know, the Freemasonic handbooks and all of that by Mackey and Duncan and read what it's saying. And as you read it and you think about what is being said in this, it would start to make sense. It would become more clearer because even those people who are in that system are not necessarily aware. Remember, it's a secret and you don't even get to know more until you go up. So I'm giving you the whole thing without having to go into the lodge, right? The amount of land that was that he was able to own was sometime determined by how many members there was in his family. As a freeman, he became a member of the governing body, which meant which met in annual and semi-annual meetings, town meetings, to make an in enforce laws and pass judgment in civil and criminal matters. So now we start to see this stature, you know, that puts them above these, you know, the communists or the regular people. So the system just got a new face and they just exited out certain layers you know where you know not a commoner is just everyone you know which is the villains and you know the slaves were just those who were incarcerated and and so you know the freemen would be those in the political field you know like the um city aldermans and you know people on the, the 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 board of education and you know those type of things those would be the freemen right but remember they was inside the church and they was in these organizations where they were you know already indoctrinated into accepting certain things so even when they was in these other areas, they were still living out what they was bounded to. So it's a trap, right? Um, which annual meetings? As the colonies grew, these meetings became, in particular, in a representative of bacchimorial systems was developed. Freemen would choose deputy governors who made up the upper house of the general court and an assistant governors who made up the lower house who chose the governor from among the ranks of ranks and passed judgment in civil and criminal matters 
right so the judges and all of that so you see there's a system that's being placed and so when we have these people amongst us who say that you know they're freemasons and stuff understand that they are necessarily you know your rats your snitches you know this that and the third they they you know, and they're using you, you know, when the people that they give up to give them ranking, because now that's the new system for them, right? You know, goals of ranks and past judgment in criminal cases. To hold one of those offices, it was required, of course, for one to be a freeman does the in does the enfranchised voters and office holders were land holding male church members non-puritans were not made freemen so now you know that you see the puritans you know in this church system you you know this what they say america is 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 a christian country and this that and the third you see this system being placed while, you know, this mentality, this supremacy, this white supremacy, or if you might call it, being placed into action. These are the forefronts of what you see around you through these little secretive you know, um, not even secretive, but just this privileged, you know, um, society. You, you know, you go white privilege and stuff like that. And, you know, you see, what was the movie? It was a movie with, um, um, oh, who was it? The black guy. They, you know, but it was, it was, um, I want to say, um, Samuel Jackson. Right, where they was, you know, there was like this slate, these, you know, poor blacks, but then the one dude, like, he was a Mason, and, you know, he thought that that was going to give him something, you know, of a, of a high status, but, you know, there was a killing, and so, like, something where he didn't want to say nothing, they wind up, you know, giving him the business as well. <laughs> right? Um, progression to Freeman. Literally, no, initially, a male was not formally considered free when first entering into the colony, right? So you understand that, you know, they was all under this colony, under this new system. They were not considered free or just recently having become a member of one of the local churches. He was considered common. Like he wasn't, you know, a slave, you know, he, he wasn't, uh, um, he wasn't a slave, nor was he a villain, right? He, he was just common. So he was above the slave, but he wasn't one of those with any stature, right? Um, such persons were not forced to work for another individual per se. Right, like you're not forced to work for anybody right now, per se. <laughs> right, but their movements were carefully observed. Right, and they veered, and if they veered from the Puritan ideal, they were asked to leave the colony. 
So they were setting up a system, like I said, this Freemasonic system. They could watch over you, see, listen to what you say, see if you went against what they were setting up, and just basically come to you and be like, all right, yo, you got to get up out of here. <laughs> and like I said, these are the same circuit tactics as you see today. So don't don't underestimate any of this. You know, this is what you see around you today. Right. There was an unstated probationary period, usually one to two years, that the prospective freeman needed to go through. And he was um, and he was allowed his freedom if he did pass the probationary period of time. So, you know, you're entered apprentice, you know, then you're allowed to move up the ranks until you become this free man or free mason, right? So you were being watched just like you are now. So even when you have problems, there's certain people you can't even voice that to because they are inside that system. You know, and that's how this works. You know, you can get your ranks even through the children and whatnot, you know, to see those problem children or, you know, want to initiate some of the problem children for, you know, their rugged, their rugged side. You know what I mean? So this right here is 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 not a game. This is how this takes place. So that's why I always say when you listen to certain people and they're saying certain things, understand what they are really implying to you. Free planter. A free planter is as opposed to a free man was any land holder who possessed it, who possessed land outright that was usually given to him by the colony after he had finished his probationary period right so you understand that you know while he was in his probationary period you you know the things you know can get you comfort inside the country because they knew you was willing to uphold and ride with certain things but if he was deemed legally incompetent, didn't pass his probationary period, or again lost his freedom through irresponsibilities of his own, he would have his land and property confiscated and redistributed amongst the remaining freemen, even if the inheritory was a self-respected citizen. You could be cool and all of that, but if you go outside of these laws and regulations, you you are on the chopping block. So understand how Freemasonry works, all right, people? You might think that this is not connected, but it is very much the foundation of this system, right? Oaths of a Freeman. Initially, all persons seeking to be free needed to take the oath of a freeman, the Freemasonic oath. 
right so this is how you know that this is all still the same system in which they vowed to defend the commonwealth and not to conspire to overthrow the government so you know that these are agents and who's who when you listen to them you can hear you know the 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 trump supporters the obama or biden's these people when you listen to their talking points is how you get to know who you are up against right so me i've always had you know the black ball behind me because everything that i'm saying I've been saying, I'm, like I told you, I just have the ability to bring it to light through, you know, internet and stuff like that. But, you know, so it makes me sound crazier when I was younger. But now, you know, um, with the ability to present it, it's easier to get the message out. All right. So the the first handwritten version of the freeman oath was made in 1634 it was printed by stephen day in 1639 and from the border side a single sheet of paper intended for posting in public places right so now let's go over to the oath of a freeman right so now we're about to head down into this oath right the oath of freeman was a loyalty pledge required of all new members of the massachusetts bay colony in 13 in 1630s and supposed a supposed original printing of the document resurfaced in 1985 and was touted as the oldest surviving printed in the united states but you know this was later revealed to be you know a forged work by a mr mark huffman right so whatever you know he he tried to you know hey and the land ain't robbers he tried to get his robin on <laughs> <laughs> right so the oath was a vow of obedience to the company's government and a promise not to conspire against it, it um, previous examples of oath in england pledges loyalty to the crown the absence of reference to the king made the oath a uniquely american document right so you know you have this goddess right and remember i told you the york right so this is in reference to the york right like maintaining you know this oath here right the earliest known version of the oath was handwritten by massachusetts bay governor john winthrop in 1631 governor winthrop stated in his diary that the oath was the first thing printed by stephen day in 1638 and 
1639. Stephen Day was an English locksmith who sailed to Boston in 1638 with the Puritan cleric. So now we see the Puritans again. And so we understand where they came from, what the message was and what they were planning to do. Had smuggled a printing press on board of the ship. After the, self, um, the clerics and his printer died at sea, <laughs> Day and his sons took possession of the press and set up Cambridge Press, right? And we know, you know, Cambridge, you know, they still do the books to this day, if I'm correct. Um, right. The King, I'm, I'm, this is the same one. Right. Um, so basically, he started a printing company off of stolen goods. The American way. <laughs> right? The first printing company in America in Boston before 1638, all printed material in America were published in England and shipped across the Atlantic. Earliest known American imprint that had been found prior to 1685 was the Bay Psalms book, which Day printed in 1640. Day printing of the oath had not been reported as seen since 1647, and according to historian Lawrence C. Roth, right? The probability that one will someday be found has never ceased to excite the New England collector. It's there, you know, it's there. Trust me. Say, so we got um content of the oath. Now this is from sixteen thirty one version of the oath reads I A B and Company being by the almighty most wise disposient became a member of this body consisting of the governor, deputy governor, assistant and common uh, commonality of the Massachusetts and New England. Do freely and sincerely acknowledge that I am justly and lawfully subject to the governor of the same. I do accordingly submit my persons in the states to the protected, ordered and governed by the law and constitutions thereof, and do faithfully promise to be from time to time obedient and comfortable there upon, upon it, un, unto it, my fault, and to the authority of the said governor and assistant and their successes, and to all such laws, orders, sentences, and decrees as shall be lawfully made and published by them and their successes. And I will always endeavor as in duty I am bound, right, to advise, to advance the peace and welfare of this body or commonwealth to my utmost skill and ability. I will and may and 
my best powers and means seek to divert and prevent whatsoever may tend to ruin or damage thereof or of any said governor deputy governor or assistant or any of them or their successes and will give speedy notice to them or some of them in my sedations violence treachery and other hurts um and other hurt or evil which i shall know here and vehemently suspect to be plotted and intended against the said commonwealth right so now you know that they are you know these informants these rats KGBers of America, you know, this system. They are, even if they provide the means for the criminal, for them to get this, when it's time, all of them go on the chopping block. That's just what it's letting you know. You know, order said governor established and I will not at any time suffer or give consent to any counsel or attempt that shall be offered, given or attempted for the impeachment of the said government or making any changes or alterations of the same. Contrary the laws and ordinance thereof, but shall do my utmost endowers to discover oppose and hinder all in every such counsel in attempt so help me god so inside of this right even when you you hear these you know like say you saying something you know about the gay movement and you'll have them people who offer these suggestions, right? This for this universal backing of, yeah, you know this. And, and, you know, basically you are on the chopping block because you are going against what their agenda is pushing. So don't think that this system is ever stopping whatever new movement that is being set up pardon me um right so whatever the agenda is they have sworn to uphold it whether right or wrong right so when we as we talk about masonry understand this system of writing in which you've you know just heard me read or you take the time to read yourself right so later and 1634 version of the oath was the basis of the first printed version 19 i mean 19 1639 which was the first documented in Cambridge Massachusetts and 1634 version reads i 
A.B., being by God's providence and inhab inhabitant and freemen within the jurisdiction of the commonwealth do freely acknowledge myself to be subject of the governor government thereof and therefore do here swear by the great and dreadful name of the ever-living god that i will be true and faithful to the same i will send i will accordingly yield assistance and support thereunto with my person and estate as in equity I am bound. I will also truly endeavor, endeavor maintain and preserve all the liberties and privileges thereof submitting myself to the wholesome laws and orders made and established by the same and further that I will not plot or practice any and reveal the same to lawful authorities now here established for the speedy preventing thereof moreover i doubt solemnly that's supposed to be due but it got doe um solemnly bind myself in the sight of god that when i shall be called to give my voice touching any matter of this state in which free men are to deal I will give my vote and suffrage as I shall judge in my own conscience my may best conduce and tend to the public spell funny there will of the body so help me God and the Lord Jesus Christ. All right. So this should be start coming clear. Like I said, for anybody who knows Freemasonry and you're taking these oaths, this should sound very familiar to you, <laughs> right? So then we have to the 20th century forgery and aftermath, right? The break from English monarchy. So remember when I told you you had the, um, the Scottish right, right the english and you have the york right the americans combined with the documented status of the first document printed in america conferred a special status in the oath thus there was considerable interest with when a rare documented dealer Mark Hoffman claimed to have found a broadside of the oath in a New York bookstore in 18, 19, no, now when it's 19, I'm saying 18, <laughs> but it's 1980, 1985. In 1985, Hoffman print of the oath was offered for sale um, to both the Library of Congress and the American Antiquarian Society. After at a reported asking price of U.S. $1.5 million. Hey, baby, get yours. Get yours, Mr. Hoffman. I'm not mad at you, right? Further forged copies of the Earth, um, the oath printed by Hoffman was sold to private individuals as well. The library... 
of Congress declared that the discovery would be one of the most important and exciting finds in the century and stated that its examination found nothing inconsistent with the mid-17th century attribution. The American Antiquian Society had possession, had possession of the document for two months and announced, as far as we know, there were no anomalies, right? Both organizations wanted to undertake further testing of the oath to determine its authenticity, right? And remain interested in acquiring the document despite some troubling events after its discovery. <laughs> right, they wanted to send us to jail, right? In fact, um, the proponent discovery was a clever forgery by Hoffman. Um, the deception began to unravel when Steve Christensen, a prominent leader of the Church of Jesus Christ and Latter-day Saints, <laughs> <laughs> I'm laughing because you know they freebases too, right? And one of the Hoffman customers was killed by a pipe bomb left at his office in downtown Salt Lake City in October 1985, right? It says leader of the church um, and one of Hoffman customers. So they were basically trying to get their hands on this, right? And you know this is a, this is this is how you know you know when you do dirt you know it, it gets messy right a day later hoffman was badly injured by a pipe bomb placed in his automobile hoffman later pleaded guilty to the bombings oh so he was he was basically making it seem like you know, this was that important. So he was basically, he bumped off a lot of people. He was going down. An investigation of the murders, police investigators discovered Hospin forgeries, which ran to hundreds of documents. All of nearly all documents and historical artifacts discovered by Hoffman in his career, including the Oath of Freeman. Hoffman demonstrated considerable skills in the creation of his forgeries. He acquired or stole paper that was manufactured, appropriated, and to the time of the documents he forged. That's some gangsters. That's gangster, baby. That's gangster. He was smart dude. I give him credit for that. His, um, he says, um, stole the paper, forged, right? He made his own ink and used chemical possessed, um, possessed and aged his document in order to make them look authentic. He would, he would acquire old books from the era and question, find a blank page that were always inserted in the front or in the back of the book, cut those out and used the paper for some of his forgeries. He learned to what? Hypnotize himself. 
So, like, you know, it's funny. We got this article. You know, you know me. I talk about hypnotism and mesmerism because that's a large part of this Freemasonry that we are dealing with. So he goes, it goes, he learned to hypnotize himself in order to fluently copy the signature. Right, it goes, um, he learned to hypnotize himself. This is the BS right here. In order to fluidly copy the signature of historical figures, he forged, you know, his forgeries fooled experts in the field, such as Charles Hamilton, Kenneth R. Randall. And investigators of the National Archives and the Federal Bureau of Investigations. During his confession, Hosman stated that he did most of his printing from plates that he made himself, but got lazy and had the oath plates made professionally. All right. So as we end this off, as you can see. This right here, right, you know I talk about hypnotism and mesmerism. We see at the end. We we see this oath, you know, of um you know, that's very similar to the Freemasonic oath around the same time of the York right. Right? We understand the Freeman when we listen to these, you know, these, especially these black Freemasons. Oh, I'm a free man. I'm a free man. This, that, and a third. This is what they are talking about. They, you know, came under these groups in order to mislead the people, villains they become, right? So, like I said, you have. You know, the Freemasons on both sides, you know, the up and up and the crooked side. And they work in tangent of getting out a certain message, right? So now we see this whole, because remember when I told you about the cants and I told you about the charlatans and all of that. Now we understand this system, these villains, and how they get you trapped and caught up in it so until next time people this is juice wanna this is old york gritty and we're out of here